One of the largest and most successful of the early Christian churches was in a place called Antioch. The leaders there knew that Jesus had asked his disciples to be his witnesses or messengers of the good news in places like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In order to accomplish that, they came up with a simple strategy, and that was to send out small teams of people to ever-growing concentric circles throughout the ancient world. Now they knew the strategy, but now they had to choose the people who would do that. And the first team that they chose were Barnabas and Saul. So how did they go about making that selection? Well, Luke pulls back a little bit of the curtain to let us see how they went about that decision. Now they could have advertised. They could have found the first century's equivalent of ZipRecruiter, Indeed, or Monster.com and waited for people to apply. And that works if people have the self-awareness enough to know themselves and to know their gifts and abilities and how they might fit with the position. And that's the way a lot of career decisions start today. It's with the individual. So some of you, maybe when you were in high school or college, were asked perhaps over a hundred times, what are you going to be when you grow up? It's an important question, and the better you know yourself and your abilities and your interests, the better the decisions you may make in choosing what your career might be. I've known people who had a strong sense of what it was they wanted to be from the time they were young. A friend of mine's a heart surgeon, and he knew in grade school what he wanted to do with his life. But I've also had t people tell me what they want to do, and I immediately think, that's not going to work. They may have the passion, but they don't have the skills and abilities necessary to fulfill that role. On the other extreme, I've known people who clearly have evident skills and gifts for one job or another, but have just never considered it. They've never thought about it. Now, if they're lucky, they have someone in their lives who knows them well, someone wise and insightful who says to them, have you ever thought about and that question changes the direction of their lives. They end up doing something that they love and are good at, but they wouldn't have tried if someone hadn't have mentioned it. When the church in Antioch started to look for leaders for this important mission, they were concerned about finding people who had strong interest and passion for the job that they were about to give that person. But they didn't leave the job or the decision about the job entirely in the hands of the individual. They also paid attention to the church community. What did others think of Barnabas and Saul? Were they gifted? Were they people of high character? Did they have the drive, the willingness to work hard at a job as it, as it would turn out? Would be extremely difficult, a job that would be all-consuming. And so the go, go, no-go decision wasn't entirely in the hands of Barnabas and Saul. It was also given to the community, and it also was one that they listened to God about. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So what's interesting here is that the emphasis in this decision isn't on the personal feelings of Barnabas and Saul, as important as those might be, but it was on the confirmation of the community and on the voice of the Holy Spirit. All three matter, but the community and God speaking through the Holy Spirit were most important. Now there needs to be a balance. If we overemphasize the individual, we may find someone with passion who doesn't know themselves and may not actually be capable of doing the job. And if we overemphasize the community, we can be misled by somebody who looks the part, but really inside doesn't have the passion or the drive or the character qualities, worse yet, to do what needs to be done. I think the lesson for us here is that if you are looking for what you might do or what you might do next, you need to remember the three voices that you should listen to. And the first is yourself. 
What do you love? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? But also listen to others. Do they agree? Especially listen to those who are wise, people who know you well and you can trust. And then finally, listen to God. Pray about it. Ask others to pray with you. Now, sometimes God will give you direct guidance. Other times it's more indirect, but always pay attention to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. You know, the same is true when you're actually selecting someone for a position, someone to fill a leadership role. Certainly look for people who are passionate and competent. Also look for people who are of high character. Then seek them out. Don't necessarily just wait for them to volunteer. If you see someone who might fit what you think you're asking them to do, seek them out. You just might be the voice of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. Well, the church at Antioch prayed, they observed, and they concluded that Barnabas and Saul were the two best people for the job. They prayed and fasted again, asking that God would give them success as they embarked on their mission. Now, the first place that Barnabas and Saul went to was an island nation called Cyprus. It was where Barnabas was from, so he had a vested interest in seeing that that particular leg of the journey was successful. When they arrived, they did something that they would repeatedly do throughout the book of Acts, and that was they went to a synagogue. Now, if you've been up with us for the last few weeks, you may wonder why they went to a Jewish synagogue since Saul was specifically told that his mission would be to the Gentiles. Well, the reason is, is that in the synagogues, in many places in the ancient world, were not just Jews, but also the spiritually curious. Now, we'll see Acts, in, throughout the book of Acts, we'll see Paul speak in a variety of places. And his priority was to find places where people who were spiritually curious, people who were hungry for the things of God were. And sometimes that was in a Jewish synagogue. It's in Cyprus that Luke suddenly begins to call Saul, Paul. Saul was his given name. Paul was his Greek nickname. Now, that wasn't unusual then. In fact, it's not all that unusual now. That's why Heinz Kissinger became Henry Kissinger. But for Paul, this was a strategic decision. In order to fit in better with his Gentile audiences, he used the name Paul because he was serious about telling other people about Jesus. And he decided to change his name just shows how committed he was to fulfilling the mission that he'd been given to do. Luke tells us that Barnabas and Saul traveled to a town called Paphos, and there they met a man named Sergio Paulus. He was the governor of the area and we're told was an intelligent man. Luke tells us that he's a seeker, someone hungry to hear the message that Paul has to share about Jesus. But Sergio Paulus had a bad influence in his life, a man named Bar-Jesus, or otherwise known as Elemus, which means literally sorcerer, which tells us a little bit about him. He was deeply involved in the occult and had considerable influence in the governor's office. And Elymas took an instant disliking to Paul. He saw him as a threat to his position and probably to his paycheck. He tried to turn his boss against Paul, but Paul confronted him. He called him a child of the devil, and Elymas temporarily went blind. Luke tells us that when the governor saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This is the story of how the highest ranking Roman official in the area became a follower of Jesus. He was impressed with the intellectual coherence of the message about Jesus. And he was also impressed with the power, the power of God that was much greater than the power of Satan. By the way, when things are going well, opposition often comes. That's why we need to be prepared for it. One of the most difficult realities to come to terms with 
is that we live in a world where people have really different views around the powers of darkness. We've got some who deny that devil and demons exist, and others who dabble into the cult, seeking out spiritual, uh, the supernatural, although not God. It's sobering, but some of the difficulties that we face as Christians are from Satan. Paul would later write that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the devil is the sworn enemy of Christ, of the church, and of Christians. Sometimes the more faithful you are, the more certain it is that you will come under attack. And when Satan fights, he doesn't fight fair. He may try to discourage you. He may plague you with doubts. He may bring difficulty in your life and try to make you give up hope. But don't be afraid. And also, don't go looking for demons under every rock. Instead, know this, that you are not alone in the fight, that Jesus fights with you. On the cross, he fought Satan, and through his resurrection, he defeated the powers of darkness, of sin, death, and hell. There's no way for a faithful Christian to avoid the attacks that Satan will sometimes bring. But when these things come, know that we can run to Jesus. We can pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And ask Jesus to fight for you and seek his protection. Also remember that God is your loving Heavenly Father, and you are His deeply loved son or daughter. You are dearly loved. He is your protector, so call on Him in any difficulty, and He will give you strength. Never give up. Remember that absolutely nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God, and also know that the sufferings of whatever you may go through in this present time cannot compare to the joy that awaits you when you go to be with Him. Well, from Cyprus, Barnabas and Paul sailed to what is now modern-day Turkey. They arrived in a Roman colony called Pisidian Antioch and went to a synagogue again, this time to preach. And when Paul went there, he found a mixed audience of both Jews and Gentiles. And what he gave there that day was a message of hope that was in three parts. And the first part had to do with a history lesson. The Bible, and I don't know if you know this, the Bible has a very optimistic view of history. When things seem to be coming apart, what the Bible tells us is that history is going someplace. Paul tells us here, and it's really a message that's repeated throughout the Bible, is that history is going someplace, that God has a plan. The future, as dark as it might seem in the present, is bright. So he tells how God chose a nation, the Israelites, as his special people. And from a few hundred, they grew over about 400 years to many, many thousands of people a large and prosperous people. But they lived under brutal and, and uh, inhospitable experience under the Egyptians. God miraculously led them out, bringing them to a land of their own where they lived for decades, going on generations. Eventually he gave them leaders, and one of the greatest of their leaders was a man named David. One of his descendants was Jesus, which brings us to the second part of Paul's message his sermon, and that is the story of Jesus. He first of all tells us that Jesus is the Son of God, but sadly, most of the people, many of the people, refused to believe in him. In fact, they turned on him and had him arrested and executed on a Roman cross. And so when they laid him in the tomb, they thought the Jesus story was over. But they were wrong, because on Easter Sunday morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. And in the final third of the sermon, Paul takes this abstract history lesson 
and the dramatic story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he makes it personal. This just isn't an amazing story, he tells them. It's what he calls the good news, the news that everyone needs to respond to. Here's how Paul put it to the people who were gathered there that day. He says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Jesus, Paul tells them and us, offers to each one of us an invitation. The only way, he says, to be set free of our sin and brokenness is through a relationship with Jesus. It's through a personal decision to receive the forgiveness that he offers us that is the barrier between us and God. When we put our faith in that, we have a relationship with God. But the good news here also comes with a warning because the invitation Jesus offers must be received personally. If we turn it down, there will be consequences. So he ends his sermon this way. He says, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. So what does he mean? Well, Paul knew that the message about Jesus could be polarizing. Some received what he said favorably. In fact, as soon as he finishes, a number of the spiritually curious approach Paul and Barnabas and ask to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So some, it seems, received the invitation that Jesus offered them. But not all, because a week later, others thoroughly rejected what Jesus had to say, or what Paul had to say. It says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And with that, Paul criticizes them. He says, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what God had commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The plan all along, from Genesis chapter 12 on, was that the Gentiles would be included in the family of God. But it was also God's will that it would be the Jews who would extend that invitation, that it was they who would bring the good news to the Gentiles. However, now that they've rejected Jesus, God rejects them, and the message would be extended by Paul to many others. Now, Paul's uh, uh, judgment here sounds harsh, but it's something he says with deep sadness because it didn't need to be this way. For hundreds of years, the prophets had pointed to Jesus. They've heard the words of the prophet, and now the one that they pointed to is here. But instead of receiving him, they reject him. As sad as that is, the story does end with some good news. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then he continues, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. So even though some of the Jewish leaders had rejected the message that Paul and Barnabas brought, it says that they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit at those who did respond positively. Now with this story, Luke really tells us how Paul came into his own. And from that point on, he would become the most important leader in the early Christian church. One of the ways we know this is that up to now, every time Luke has referred to Paul and Barnabas, he's said Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul. In other words, putting Barnabas' name first. But from this point on, he always refers to Paul first. Well, the church in Antioch found some really good leaders. 
Paul and Barnabas experienced some success, but they also encountered some opposition. Just as we may in our life with Jesus, though, they also stayed on message, the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. So even today, the church, in our case, City Church, needs some really good leaders. And as we take up the mission of Jesus, we do so expecting to experience success, but also understanding that we will encounter opposition. But we will also remember that we have the message of hope, the hope of eternal life found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is where we place our trust. Amen.